Greetings from Las Vegas for Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. Well, I kind of get Uber Eats, but what's Uber Health? Will they deliver a steaming or greasy bag of health to my door at the click of a button? Caitlin Donovan, head of Uber Health, is our guest today, so we'll soon find out. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens. David, that's a horrible way to start. Welcome, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And David, that's exactly what Uber Health does. We deliver a greasy bag of health to you. You ordered it. She's going to deliver it. I have to delete the app. But I mean, why does, why does Uber have a health division? You know, I think it's really important, not only for the social mission, but I think actually John told me this once when I was considering taking this job, that there's no shortage of consumer demand in healthcare. And when you think about what really drives the right outcomes for patients, taking a really good consumer experience can change patient behavior for the better and therefore change the ecosystem. So you get what's good for Uber, what's good for the system. And that's really what drives me. David, I mean, we were going to have to break this down into a lot of simple pieces for you to follow. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Not everybody is immobile and as over-informed as you are. And so I think that one of the interesting things about the being the global head of transportation. I don't know how you ended up with global um, because most transportation in the rest of the world kind of works well, but transportation is actually one of the many sort of invisible barriers to health, David. And that's why this is this is an important issue. I mean, I, I honestly think, Caitlin, Uber's probably was kind of sort of bumping around in the darkness with around before before you got there. But it's a really critical last mile. We talk a lot about last mile issues for food, for homelessness, for delivering the healthcare and creating access. One of the big last mile challenges is no one can get wheels to for to get to that to, to get to that last mile solution of a dock or or a pharmacy. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Transportation has been a known barrier to care. Medicaid actually has covered transportation as a benefit since 1966, but the solutions were not particularly consumer-friendly. And when the data started to suggest that that need extended beyond a Medicaid population to a Medicare population, even an employer-sponsored population, there was really a lot of innovation needed and desired by the system. So um, I, I think you're spot on. You know, Uber can help. Because we're in most people's pockets. People know what we are, have a great consumer experience. But when you apply the healthcare lens and use Uber's core competencies to think about how do you use your technology to do that at scale, to embed within the payer so that this is well-funded and well-utilized, you can really change healthcare delivery for the better. But so, so that's what every technology company spins up. And so you're, you're a health plan. Like, why do I believe what's different about your spiel? And the other thousand bright lights at this conference saying you need the blah 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 dot com solution. Like what makes this special and important and central to what they need to change? You know, I've always been an outsider to tech, um, coming more from the true healthcare side of the health tech industry. And from an outsider's perspective, I think a lot of technologies believe if you build it, they will come. And candidly, that's not true. You need to have a payer buy into what you're doing, reimburse it. You need to play by their rules. No matter how big a tech company you are, you're the small fish in this pond. And so thinking about how to 
embed yourself in the existing ecosystem, but make it better for all constituents day one, the patients, the providers that candidly want to do holistic patient care, but have no idea how to access what a patient needs outside the four walls of their clinic, and the payer who wants to care for patients at scale, spend their marginal dollar in the right place to solve a root cause, we can tackle all three of those things by understanding the ecosystem we're playing in versus just saying, we've got a great app, please use it. David, are you tracking now? I mean, you've had a hard time. You looked a little confused there. I am a little confused, but you know, if you think about regular Uber, compare it to taxis, right? Taxis were around, people were taking taxis. And you take Uber and there's like a hundred reasons why you want to do it, right? It's much easier. I can do it on my app. I don't have to pull out my cash or credit card. I don't have to tell the person it's the getting route, a little bit more expensive, et cetera, though. et cetera. Oh, you know what? In this economy, John, everything's getting more expensive. But there is an industry, um, you know, that's maybe parallel to that in healthcare than you know, non-emergency medical transportation that's been paid for, as you say, since 1966. Does the analogy hold? Is Uber, what? It's Nemet, John. Would it have been better if I said that? It's like Neko. It's that type of cookie that nobody knows about, right? What is it? It's, yeah. Oh, oh, boy, John. Yeah. Uh, you know, now you can describe the aroma. I actually want to make you feel good now, John, because I know in your new job, not enough people are sucking up to you, so. Yeah, non-emergency medical transportation. What does it sound like? It sounds like an ambulance that doesn't have its sirens on. I honestly could be a lot of things, right? Tends to be a network of ambulances. You're right. That's really expensive, by the way. Um, Wheelchair-assisted vehicles, door-to-door vehicles, cab companies, and now companies like Uber get embedded in that. Um, But you're right. It's been sort of the forgotten stepchild of healthcare because people view it as transportation, not as core to patients. Um, uh, to patients' outcomes, which, as John started the podcast with, we know that's not true. So what's the difference between Uber and Uber Health? Is it just you put health on it and people just use the app and say, do it? Or what's what's different about it? And what, yeah, just call, it's, it's sort of like one of those things where they have like, you know, Tylenol, Tylenol PM, Tylenol XL, you know, Tylenol for whatever, this, that, and the other. Not to, you know, go on about Tylenol. We could, but, but is it, but it's not exactly... But it's not exactly the same thing, right? It's not just giving somebody the Uber app. No, that's exactly right. It's not brand soup on purpose. It's it's taking the core competencies of Uber that I think hopefully we all know and use Uber, right? The app in our pocket that connects us to the transportation or deliveries that we need and applied to healthcare. Um, Uber Health actually, though, is not an app that you'll find on your phone. It's purposely a provider-facing tool that's web-based or API-based. Um, And we do that on purpose, right? Because to serve a really vulnerable population, these are the types of patients that can't, won't, or don't want to navigate on their own. And so we purposely built with a care coordinator broadly in mind to be able to address the needs of a large population that doesn't have the wherewithal or or means to navigate on their own. So it's not like an OTC over-the-counter benefit so David could get more Tylenol for his persistent headaches from this show. It's it's not it's not what you're really talking about, I think, is is returning, is sort of solving the transportation problem, the gaps in transportation for those high-need populations. You're not just throwing more rides at the general population. I think that's right. It's really optimizing the way the system works by embedding um, services in the right place. So to give an example of, to your point, um, you know, NEMT, the non-emergency medical transportation and how it historically worked, buried in the back of the handbook, separate call number that patients would have to seek on their own, call, wait on hold. Maybe the ride shows up, maybe it doesn't. You definitely don't have a GPS link. And what we've found is 
the value of making the patient experience better, and equally importantly, embedding at the provider experience can provide really good results. So we ran a study with this group called Sergo Ventures um, for a group of moms that needed rides to their prenatal care. They were Medicaid moms, so by definition had access to a transportation benefit. But we found that when we embedded Uber Health at two federally qualified health centers, 76% of the moms said they wouldn't have been able to get to the appointments without Uber Health, even though they had a pre-existing transportation benefit. Now, that rings true. When I was, there was a mandatory demonstration project for Medicaid in New York in the, in the early 90s. And one of the things we added, um, just purely whimsically at some level, because I thought this would be a challenge, is a black car service for high-risk Medicaid moms. And, what, and, and with also the flexibility for them to shop for food. Because, and what, what, what we found is that the, by making it really frictionless for, for, for high-risk moms, pregnant and parenting teens, as well as high-risk moms with, 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 with medical conditions that would make them high-risk, uh, these are poor moms in poor neighborhoods where the transportation is just tricky. And I think people, people many policymakers and health plans underestimate how busy and complicated a poor mother's life is. If you can make transportation work, particularly for those at high risk, people will take it. And it's that last transportation challenge. And we had m many fewer uh, bad babies who were in the, the, the NICU. Now, listen, I'm just about choking up on these stories. They're so beautiful. You ready? Okay, so here's what I remember about Uber, right? Uber would come into a market and say, to hell with the laws. To hell with the taxi drivers. You know, I'm just going to go do my own damn thing. You doing that in healthcare too? Haven't you watched the series on- I don't on, watch television. On, 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 <laughs> Well, I think a few things a few things have changed around there around Uber, but I have a friend here. You may not have one, Caitlin. Can you just talk a little bit about Dara and the new leadership team? No, I, I think uh, I think uh, first of all, all before my time, um, but but uh, certainly follows all regulations that sort of table stakes, um, and especially in healthcare. Right, this is a really highly regulated industry, if we aren't following regulations, you're putting people at risk, you're putting patients at risk. Um, it's, it's, it's a non-starter to not be fully compliant with everything that we need to be compliant with. The truth is the other way around those. So some of those, uh, you know, those ambulance services are actually pretty crooked and there's been a history of them uh, being problematic. So it's not like you're coming into a super clean industry like the taxi industry. I mean, the other thing that, 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 that happens is people don't know who to call. So they end up calling 911, which the ambulance services that are happy to overcharge yeah. are willing to go, go there. So, so, you, so what's your next big question? What's the, uh, what's the global element of your title? It's not just that like you can drive a car from here to the Bahamas or something. You know, I would love to do that, to be honest. That's a, that's a great idea. That should be my, my new reason for the global title. Um, but the, the real reason is that I think these needs are universal. Just the way that they're deployed in different health systems is, is different depending on the structure of the system. So, for example, to your point about ambulances, in the UK, there's such a backlog of need for non-emergency medical transportation. There have been studies showing that it's taking a day, at least multiple hours to pick up patients for an, the, their equivalent of a 911 call. Well, we just happen to be here with somebody who just got an entry-level job at Walgreens. And I also notice you are doing some things with Walgreens. What's going on there? Yes. Uh, you know, I think it's really important to blend what we're doing in the ecosystem where Walgreens has 
great prescription delivery uh, or great pres- ability to p- fill prescriptions. We have the ability to connect folks to that last mile delivery element. So just announced um, via the the White House, a prescription delivery program with Walgreens. White House, that White House, right? That's right, that White House. And I, <laughs> and, and I do think there's so much more we can do together. And, Why you know, is that a White House level um, discussion? David, there's a lot of things going on that you've missed out on. There's a public health emergency, this whole COVID thing. Um, it's still around. There are other things that are happening. And we got to get you out a little bit more. I'm giving a serious question, John. I'm giving, it was actually announced at the White House. Why, why is that something that's important enough for the White House to announce, this White House? Yes. Uh, you know, I think it's really important to blend what we're doing in the ecosystem where Walgreens has great prescription delivery uh, or great pres- ability to p- fill prescriptions. We have the ability to connect folks to that last mile delivery element. I mean, really what we're trying to solve for with Uber is to make sure patients can get the care they need at, at the right price at the right time. And it, in the, at a time of a public health emergency, we're much more sensitive to viruses of all sorts. We want to create more of an ability to connect the patient with what they need at that moment. And, that, that, that's, and the reason I think why it was important for this White House, for Biden and team to promote it, is I think there's a natural desire, as there is after every pandemic, to call the end of it before it's actually finished. And I think that there's a long tail to this virus and we, and, and we are we are going to have to manage in the world we are in. So let's find a safer way to, as Caitlin said, get people the drugs they need and not put someone in a vulnerable situation. You know, I think, um, like John said, we're still in a public health emergency and those most in need of care may not know how to navigate to get things like Paxlovid that can dramatically improve outcomes for those diagnosed with COVID. And if you think about it, if you're just diagnosed with COVID, you don't want someone walking into a Walgreens and having the Walgreens store become a super spreader event. And so that's where our partnership comes in. How do you find the right modality to get patients the care that they need? John mentioned before about his program where it was combining the ability to get food with going to the doctor as well, because you need both of those things. I joked about Uber Eats at the beginning. It was a joke. Sorry, John. I know you were taken personally. Um, I wasn't talking about, I know you order certain things, but is there, is there a linkage between the health side and the food side? You know, how does that all work together? There absolutely is. So thinking of Uber Health as sort of that web-based platform that, that allows you to connect to Uber's core marketplace, we can both move patients' places and deliver things to patients and do that quite intentionally. If you think about the overlap and need between patients who need rides and those that need food, over-the-counter medications, prescriptions delivered, the need is quite high. And frankly, health plans spend a lot on picking multiple different vendors to administer all those benefits. So thinking about patient need, the ability for a provider to navigate and not have to call four different places for a single patient And for a payer to have to pay one administrative fee instead of four, I think that's a really powerful way to transform the system for the better. Do you want to be the Uber of health? (laughs) We should hire you, John. (laughs) There's a thousand other companies out here on this floor that are claiming to be the Uber of something, generally of health. So it sounds like what you're getting at there is, you know, you mentioned that this benefit's been around for a long time. Health plans haven't always done the best job of being the most sort of, you know, consumer focused, especially on what you'd call it like an ancillary service, which sort of means like, I don't pay attention to it. It's ancillary, but it might not be ancillary to you if you can't get around. It sounds like you're talking to health plans about maybe reforming that a little bit more broadly based on the overall insight. Is that right? 
I, I think that's right. I think um, obviously the impact we can have on an individual of getting them their care is really important, but it it really becomes transformative when you can do that at the population level, which to me means embedding yourself with the payer. Um, so want to talk to your point about, you're right, ancillary benefits are those things that are big enough for health plans to care about, so they have to have them, but too small for them to do themselves. So they sort of set it and forget it, which leads to some interesting incentives. In or the they system. forget it and forget it even further. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, starting to see that change now, especially given the correlation with ancillary benefit utilization and star ratings, which we know all these payers are really paying attention to. Um, so want to give a, really a horrifying example of what happens when you don't set up your ancillary benefits correctly and don't think about the impacts of the incentives you're building. Um, we were contracted with a care coordination plan um, on a value-based contract, which I think everyone says is what's going to solve healthcare. We have all the data points that that's not quite enough, right? Um, and here's a really good example of why that's not enough. So this care coordinator was contracted with Uber Health. They had a patient that was a dual eligible member on Medicaid and Medicare. Patient had an acute event, needed to go see a doctor. Had to cross state lines so Medicaid wouldn't pay for the ride. This had happened so frequently, they'd exhausted their Medicare benefit. Medicare wouldn't pay for the ride. So the care coordinator called up our team and said, what should I do? And we said, you planned for this. That's why you contracted with us. You knew this was going to happen. Your incentives are aligned. You're on that magical value-based contract where you're financially incentivized to do the right thing that you should do anyway. And they said, ooh, I can't do it. The benefit's been exhausted. I think the health plan will get mad. So patient had the acute event. The transportation alone went from being a $40 Uber ride to a $1,000 911 call. And then patient had an inpatient stay, costing thousands of more dollars to the system. So now we're spending a lot of our time saying, okay, let's talk about the way you're structuring these value-based contracts. Let's talk about the way you're designing your benefit. How do you pre-plan for an extension of benefits so you can use these shiny consumer tech tools in a way that helps the population at scale and especially those who most need it? So all that's missing from that story is a $120,000 air ambulance ride, but uh, maybe that'll be for the sequel. Well, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. We've been broadcasting from where else? Las Vegas, Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. And our guest today has been Caitlin Donovan. She's head global, global head of Uber Health. I'm David Williams, global president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of U.S. Healthcare. If you liked what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service.